anything's possible though, because you know Bitcoin is money. So you know, money talk, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Coin Telegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 77. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. DP is gone again. Yeah. He's, we live very, very travel-induced lives. Like, I feel like if I'm not traveling, Corey's traveling. If you're not traveling, I'm traveling. You're either on vacay or doing traveling i'm traveling all the time now Corey's, but we still make it work because we love making this show for you guys that are listening right now and we're gonna try we're gonna continue to make this show uh as badass as possible by paying the bills like this uh, episode 77 is brought to you by the great folks at escrowmybits.com. It's super easy. It's only going to take three steps. All you got to do is register and deposit your Bitcoin. Seller ships the item. Buyer checks the goods and releases the funds. And they release them. And they will release it like the Kraken. And they also offer Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate. So if you're in Japan... Uh, you know, yen, if you're in Europe, euros, all that good stuff. If you're in China, yuan, uh, they charge a flat escrow fee of 1%. Hey, D, what's going on? Are you in a wind tunnel? Are you hearing that? I'm hearing a lot of stuff. Oh, shit. I was trying to mess with this microphone. <laughs> I don't well, I'm gonna, it sound too bad. I'm gonna, so, I'm gonna keep going while you're in that F5 tornado, and, um... <laughs> They charge a small flat escrow fee of 1% on all escrow transactions, and they even offer you the ability to split the fee with the other party. So they've thought of everything. Uh, your funds are kept in a secure two of three multi-signature transaction where they only hold one key, and the rest are yours. So escrow my business created to solve all the problems wrong with the type of escrow services currently around. So go to their website, sign up for their newsletter, and escrow your shit with escrow my bits. We're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin, which is the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. People ask us on Twitter all the time to recommend an ATM. There you go. They're located in Houston, Fort Worth, Dallas, and seven other U.S. cities, and it's growing like all the time. So make sure you go to their website for more information at athenabitcoin.com. And also download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store or Google Play. We're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, Bitquick.co. That's Bitquick.co. It is a secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace, and you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. Bitquick has been serving Bitcoiners since 2013 
which is the year I got into Bitcoin. Whoop de whoop. Where there's a bank, there's a Bitquick. All right, man. 2013, serving Bitcoin is forever. You heard a slogan. Where there's a bank, there's a Bitquick. That's the slogan, right? Yeah. Bam, bam. All right, so let's get into the show. All right. Stuff we need to talk about. There's still a there's still a storm brewing over there. Dude, I don't hear anything. I don't know what you're talking about. It's like a it's like a there you go. What'd you do? You did something. I unplugged my laptop's power supply. <laughs> what is that? Is that a Dexter Laboratory computer? What did you do? It is a very large laptop. This, this is true. Uh, okay. No, when the, when the charger's plugged in, you can catch the feedback from the power coming from the outlet. So I forgot to unplug it this time. Yay, me. All right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what's that? You know, I know you you went and did some independent reading, some independent studying. What is what what's hot? What's going on? Just a little bit, just so I could get you know requalified uh, with what's going on with Bitcoin. Trying to start up a new job and and running the show has has definitely been interesting, um, but I'm keeping it going. And the thing that I found most interesting is a question throughout my readings. I was thinking to myself. Does Bitcoin need governance, and, and what kind of governance does Bitcoin currently have? I mean, it's so large. I'm talking about Bitcoin specifically. Uh, it's so large and so hard to change. And when things are so large and so hard to change, what humans have typically done is we put some type of governing systems in place when a change does need to occur. But what do you do with Bitcoin? When it's like this open source, anyone can use it, anyone has access to it kind of technology that no one owns, how do you govern it when a change does need to take place? Like the change that has needed to take place for the past year and a half now, um, block size and, the, and upgrading the network. And I think you tweeted something earlier in the week that kind of sums it up perfectly. And that's that the miners and the developers don't lead the investors. The investors and the people putting money into the system lead the miners and the developers. And maybe that's the only governance that can ever exist. The only governing, the only changes that take place are going to be the changes that are seeking that almighty dollar dollar bill. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got some slack for that tweet, by the way. Caught slack? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Some dude was like, the weak link in Bitcoin's governance is the centralization of the dev team. And I'm like, okay. You didn't say anything back to him? You said, all right, cool guy. I mean, I'm not I don't, you know, I, I have a platform to discuss ideas, and that's with you guys. I'm not really a, a back and forth or on Twitter. Sorry, guy. You don't get the back and forth from Cello. You probably would have got it from uh, Corey. Corey would have went back and forth with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I can say is that I think you're right. I think ultimately the miners and the devs are going to do what makes the people that are putting money into the system happy. Because if you don't, then there's no system. I mean, that, that's, to me, that's obvious. And 
yeah, the centralization of development going to the core kind of sucks. But at the same time, the, they're going to chase what the investors put money into. So it doesn't suck that bad. Yeah. You know? And there, one, there needs to be a change. And how Bitcoin governs that change, I think, is going to be governed by the almighty dollar. I think, that, and right now, the Bitcoin core is winning because Bitcoin Classic tried. We tried a fork earlier in the year. Um, and what happened? Nothing. The money stayed, the money stayed with the Bitcoin core. So, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a way to govern Bitcoin because then it gets away from having a consensus, you know what I mean, between everyone agreeing but perhaps it's not about everyone agreeing it's about every computer agreeing on the right protocol to run so well, our guest was talking about politics and he thinks that part of the problem is that there's been like a tension between those interested in developing financial service uh innovation and then those interested in political innovation so i think and he kind of opened my eyes up to a little bit you know, obviously Bitcoin and Ethereum, there are ways to uh, eliminate central authorities. We get that. But I think one way to do that is to make everything based on code and rules that humans can't interfere with because others just want the damn thing to work so they can make alt finance innovations on top of it. And uh, I was talking to Vinay Gupta earlier this week, and he, you know, he says Vitalik Buterin is a very brilliant guy, but he wants to avoid human intervention in the code. Um, and what that results in is like he is the leader, but then he feels like he doesn't have a dog in the hunt. That's a problem as well. Interesting. And then, you know, what we concluded, the other part of the problem is that uh, the founders, they need to do some of the the leading and they don't seem to have thought through governance and they've ended up with systems they probably didn't intend. So maybe we need better leaders. I think we've needed better leaders for a long time. I've said it on the show. I mean, these people, these devs, these engineers, they may be fantastic. They may be the most talented coders on the planet. They may be able to program just what could be considered a masterpiece on a Da Vinci level. But they've got to understand people and psychology and psychology on a macro scale and the decisions that they make and how they're affecting all these people they suck at that they don't talk enough nearly enough as they as they should be i don't think and if they if they can't if they say hey we're too busy working on the protocol to talk about how we're working on the protocol all the time then they need to hire somebody to do that you know what i mean they need to they need to do research on individuals that are capable of projecting their ideals to all these massive people that are doing things themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. I hopped into the core Slack, like the Bitcoin core Slack, and I was like, what the fuck is going on here? There's like 10,000 messages being sent in a half a day. Like, I don't have time for this shit. Like, there's way too much going on in here. But I still want to know, and the fact that I want to know needs to that means that I need to be satisfied, 
and they need to find a way to satisfy me because I want to know what's going on. And they have to find the time to educate the masses, or it's always just going to seem like they're doing Doctor Doom, Legion of Doom shit behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, th- I think consensus will be reached when there's like no objection, a- and that's different than than change being desirable. You know, I think we can all just agree. I mean, you could be totally new to Bitcoin development, and you can post a valid objection, and if the people don't or can't refute your objection, well, then there's no consensus. Maybe there's just too many, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Yeah. I feel like those little what were those things called that always got their asses beat by the Power Rangers? Those gray like oh those yeah you pu- you punch them in their chest and then you shouldn't have your weakness on your chest. <laughs> I, that's that's what it feels like. Like uh, whatever the devs do something, I feel like they send a, if like in the bitcoin network and we're doing the research kind of you know like trying to stay up to speed then they do something they just throw us out there to get our asses beat by the power rangers and we're like damn man there's got to be a better way there's got there's got to be i feel like how they must feel like decisions just are made and you have no control and then you just got to deal with it and get your chest exploded oh you need all you need is 95%, man. Changes that affect network consensus rules require 95%. 95% is a lot, man. Go eat 95% of a Snickers. There's only going to be like a little sliver left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, let's get into the interview. All right. Well, our guest today is uh, Greg Slipak, software developer and founder of... Okay, Turtles Foundation. Uh, Okay, Turtles. Turtles. We talked about the Bitcoin and block size debate. Uh, Well, just like me and Dimitri just talked about, you know, the surfacing politics in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Uh, Stephen Mackey joins us again. Double trouble. He adds basic income to the mix. Lots of tangents here as, um, you know, important protocol and software development projects require people of, uh, you know, different views and plans. And we come together over the common standards and code. Um, what else? Oh, I guess I should, you know, uh, let you know that, you know, politics are intense and there are ways that Bitcoin governance is like government and proposals to fork the software are kind of like, whoa, is this a seaweed break? <laughs> I okay. To do that. Sorry. I did it on whoa. purpose. Sorry, you listeners. Derail the train. <laughs> seaweed is delicious roasted seaweed from Kirkland Signature damn right that's Costco I'm sorry man here it is alright well the first thing I want to tackle is is uh, I just went to your your Twitter to just to kind of you know have you fresh in my brain and I'm this is new for me so I, I want to hear kind of what's going on I'm I'm seeing retweets of uh of people wanting Brian Armstrong to to be you know resign and and there's this big scandal with Coinbase and the Ethereum Classic um, and you're pretty passionate about it in the last couple hours. You want to tell us a little bit about what's going on? Yeah, and let me know if I'm breaking up or not because you started breaking up there a little bit. You sound fine, Greg. Okay. Yeah. So the past few hours uh, and maybe like day or so have been absolutely uh, it's like 
the Dow drama has just gotten crazier and crazier and crazier as time has gone on. And today is the latest episode in this new Game of Thrones type thing. Um, <laughs> basically, I, I don't know where I should start because it's it's kind of a long story that I've been following for the past three weeks, and and it's got a lot of elements to it. So if you if you let's, if you let's start up let's let's start up to like the lead up, let's say like that week right before the hard fork when we were essentially coming to consensus on what we were going to do for the fork. It's five o'clock, and they were beginning to you know integrate the hard fork into different implementations. Like what was going through your mind? What were you seeing they were doing wrong that you maybe wanted them to change? And then sort of go from there, maybe. Okay, so the the, the period. Uh, leading leading up to the hard fork, so because this this stretches on even you know bef- before then they, they were doing the soft fork prior to that which failed, mm-hmm. and then before that there was the actual DAO attack. I don't know if you guys actually covered that on this episode or on your podcast. I have I have lately. Yeah. Okay, okay. So you guys covered that. All right. So after the soft fork failed, they started looking uh, at what they could do, and the hard fork was to them seemed like their, their best option. There were a lot of different options. I think there were four main options on the table as far as how things could turn out initially. And as time went on, some of those options started to go off the table because of time pressure. So I, I would label the four options that they had at the outset as steel Seal coins A, which is let the attacker uh, you know do nothing and let the attacker uh, make away with the coins. Uh, steal coins B, which is to steal them back from the attacker with some kind of a fork. Uh, then there was burn coins, which involved basically just not letting anybody have them. And the final option was negotiation. There might have been some other options, but those seemed like the most viable ones. And these various different options were debated at the outset, and for whatever reason, uh, which is not entirely clear to me, I think mostly, if I had to guess, it's probably that people were just very upset and very angry and very emotional, and so and, people did and not... people were very afraid of losing their money, so there was right. a lot of sort of, yeah, rational stuff going on. Yeah, so, so there were a lot of emotions uh, making people not think very rationally. And these debates went on, and because of that, whenever somebody would mention the possibility of negotiation, which you know eventually everybody realized was the best option that they had as far as the outcomes for everyone uh, on you know all sides, uh, even likely the attacker, um, Whenever that was mentioned, it was mostly just kind of basically it would fade off into the background and ignored, uh, which was unfortunate. So the crowd was kind of following the lead, uh, which was some kind of fork, and they decided, okay, since the soft fork has this denial of service issue, uh, let's do a hard fork, which is simpler to implement in terms of the code. And let's just hard fork the chain, create another chain, which has this special uh, replacement for the DAO contract and refund the DAO investors. And that's uh, what they ended up doing. Um, And just last minute, prior to them actually releasing this, 
somebody on the subreddit brought up the issue of replay attacks, which were initially dismissed because a lot of people thought that the original chain would, due to various economic reasons, die off quickly. Um, but as we know, that isn't what happened, yeah. and, and there are reasons why that didn't happen, um, which we can get into. Can you can you can you give me what's what's one or two like main reasons that you think right now that Ethereum Classic hasn't died off? Do you think it's the what I call the Barry Silbert effect, or do you think it has something to do specifically with you know the core ethos from you know the previous chain and people wanting to hold on to that philosophy and to, and to that narrative and the ethos? Like, what do you think there? Well, what's what's the Barry whatever it was effect? Barry Silbert. <laughs> can you can you describe what that is? The Barry Silbert effect is when you announce on Twitter that you're going to invest in Ethereum Classic, and then a lot of people do it too. Oh, I see. Gotcha. <laughs> um, yeah. So, no, I don't think that's what it was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, in my opinion, and I, again, I've been uh, following this for the past three weeks basically religiously daily uh, and I've been following both communities these sub primarily the subreddits r slash uh, ethereum and r slash ethereum classic mm -hmm. as well as having uh, you know conversations with various people and Twitter of course uh, as far as I can tell the reason why ethereum classic has the support that it has currently is almost entirely due to the way that the hard fork itself was handled. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were simply upset um, by the lack, I think, uh, of communication from the foundation uh, throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then whenever there were posts from Ethereum developers, a lot of the arguments that they were making weren't very solid. Uh, they were on fairly shaky ground. So that's that. the way that it was handled, the way that uh, their position was commu communicated was pretty poor. And the second big reason was because um, there was, and this, this actually might be the, the, I might have them backwards, this might be the main reason. Because the, the biggest argument that the, the pro-classic side has is that the marketing surrounding smart contracts uh, and the DAO specifically, uh, and the surrounding marketing of the entire ecosystem of Ethereum was this, you know, you everybody heard this loud and clear, code is law. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And so, so this is, I, I definitely have them backwards. So this is the primary reason. Um, when the DAO was being marketed, the uh, Slocket team was very, very clear on their website and elsewhere, saying basically, you are, by investing in the DAO, you are agreeing to the terms as they are specified, not on our website, but as they are specified by the code. So the behavior of the code is what you are agreeing to. And if you do not understand it, do not invest. And a lot of people completely ignored those warnings. Probably, uh, I would say, 99.9% uh, .9 of the people who invested in the DAO ignored those warnings. Uh, or you know, it might have been a little bit smaller because, you know, to be fair, there was also, and this was also part of the problem, there were some people who were doing their due diligence and looking at the smart contract code. There were some people who were even doing um, Google Hangouts 
and going through the code line by line and inviting people. <laughs> and the impression was, right, not many, but you know, uh, th this did take place. And the impression that all of this gave off, uh, in addition to the fact that the code that Slocket had said that they had paid security companies to review the code, was that the code was solid. Mm -hmm. And that it had a lot of really smart people looking at it. So there was a lot of confidence built up around this system. And so, you know, in spite of all of these warnings, uh, the people who invested, you know, weren't entirely to blame, of course. The blame was kind of spread out through the entire community. Uh, everybody kind of, you know, ha had their fair share of it. Uh, the smart contract was presented as being secure, audited, and people were agreeing to this notion of code as law. And then all of that just went out the window all of a sudden when this DAO attack happened because some fairly uh, smart, crafty person found an issue. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure on the timeline, because some of these issues were brought to the attention of the wider community by folks like Imin Gun Sirir, uh, who later on um, found out that, indeed, there were problems with the, the contract. And then you, you might remember that Vlad Zemfir was also calling for a moratorium on the DAO, which uh, is basically there are these curators who kind of vet proposals that are made to it. And he was trying to get all of these different curators to agree to not approve any of them and to kind of put the DAO on hold. And I don't think that that really, uh, well, I, I mean, we, we know that that didn't have much of an overall effect on whether or not the funds were stolen because they, they ended up being um, uh, taken and the whole system was compromised. So that, that, that's basically the main reason why um, uh, you know, when all of that happened uh, and all of the, the marketing was overturned and then uh, these, uh, the, the foundation and various other folks are saying, okay, well, we, uh, you know, redo. We want to go back on this. Uh, <laughs> we want to say, that, okay, code isn't really law. You know, it's uh, this community thing. Hello, that, JK, know, guys, that, that we were just kidding. This is the real one this time, I promise. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, so they were like, we, want, we basically want to reverse everything that happened, give us our money back, you know, et cetera. And uh, it, I mean, there was so much hypocrisy going on. Uh, and I think that that fueled a lot of uh, the fires. And then it was a really tough situation for everybody because you have to remember, and I, I think some empathy and compassion needs to be extended uh, on both sides. So people do need to realize that the Ethereum Foundation and a lot of the developers who were working on Ethereum clients were under a lot of stress and a lot of time pressure. And they were probably not thinking straight because of both emotions uh, and obligations and uh, not sleeping, <laughs> simply not sleeping. <laughs> I actually I actually messaged Vitalik at some point, and I was like, hey, man, during all this, you should make sure you remember to eat. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure everyone was under a lot of pressure. They were dealing with a lot of scrutiny, and there was just a lot of... A lot of people just sitting there in the background, either on like Slack and IRC and stuff, saying, "What are you doing? How are we going to fix this?" So, I mean, I, you can only imagine the situation they were in. Yeah, and then the time pre they, the pressure was coming from time, basically. The the DAO, uh, I don't know how this happened. It almost seems orchestrated in some sense to like create this miraculous drama, like spe spectacle. To be quite honest, like who would think that these uh, to, to put into this child DAO creation this like. You know, it's it's almost like out of a movie or out of a television show. Where there's like a ticking, yeah. It's it's like there's a a, a a ticking you know time bomb, and, and like the you're you're under this time pressure. They've got this many days to get this amount of work done and make sure that it's bug free. And I mean, 
so so yeah, it was it was ridiculous on that level. And then there was the reality also that well, somehow this uh, time period was there. It wasn't like an instant creation of this child DAO. Uh, there was some time while the funds were not accessible to the attacker. And after that time expired, then they would become accessible. They could be withdrawn to exchanges and converted to Bitcoin. And then it's game over at that point. Mm-hmm. So since they had this opportunity, uh, they decided that they were going to take it and uh, try to uh, reverse it. And a lot of people, you know, you know, the, the initial reaction was like, whoa, you guys are going back on your word. And so then a lot of the thinking was around uh, basically how how can we make this, you know, uh, not entirely our doing. So there was a lot of, um, I guess, in some sense, um, partially for liability reasons and partially also to, um, you know, at the very least give the appearance of being a decentralized consensus system to have uh, the community decide whether or not they were going to fork. Um, and so they had the coin vote and they also created the option for people to uh, run whichever fork they wanted. They kind of screwed that one up as well, uh, making it very dangerous for people to, to choose um, the minority chain. Uh, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I actually actually um, reached out to the one of those developers, Alex Vanderson. I don't, I don't remember how to say his name correctly. And my apologies if he's listening to this. Um, but, yeah, I actually reached out to him um, when in, as far as, like, the modal that came up for the Ethereum, like, you know, like, core wallet, like, when you go to open it and it asks you, like, you know, what fork did you want to be on? And, I you know, I reached out and I said specifically that that language seemed a little bit very political. Like, I don't know if this is really a direction that you want to go. Um, and that, and that, and that was my only statement there. And like, you know, I, I think that the whole, in the entirety of the situation could have been handled a lot more elegantly. You know, I, I can't necessarily sit here and say this is the route that you could have gone. And, you know, other people could say if we went a different route, we could have said, well, what if we had done the hard fork? You know, so it's a matter of like, hey, you know, we've done this, we've gotten through it, we're past it. The, the hacker more than likely, I'm sure in some way, shape or form has already gotten a hold of all the money that he needed to by utilizing this sort of like, you know, ETC thing. And he's probably dumped it and probably has a very large amount of Ethereum and or Bitcoin now. So, I mean, but all this has proved is that the Ethereum community, its developers are extremely resilient, very mature. They're opening to outside, you know, discussions about, you know, how to proceed and how to handle this, you know? And I think that, you know, given any other group of developers, say like the Bitcoin core team or any, I think, I think anyone would have had a very difficult situation here. And yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree, especially with that last part. That this is uh, people need to remember. Uh, th- there's actually a, a name for this psychological phenomenon. I don't remember it right now, but the basic idea is that uh, people have this bias where they like to attribute um, somebody's behavior to the person themselves, as opposed to the situation that they find themselves in. Mm-hmm. And what they often don't realize is that if they were in that situation themselves, they would very likely behave in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. That's very true. That, that's that's a good point. I have a question for you, though. You know, to sort of just skirt off topic just a little bit for a second and to move back over into Bitcoin. Today, um, if Bitcoin hard forked, do you think something similar would happen? As far as, like, splitting into two chains and a minority chain that's, you know, seeking to go off on its own? 
Well, that, that's a really tough question for me to answer because, uh, first of all, I don't speak uh, on behalf of the Bitcoin community. Mm-hmm. I uh, have followed the Bitcoin community for a long time, and I'm very familiar with the thinking of the Bitcoin developers. And I wrote a blog post um, rebutting uh, Mike Hearn's arguments. I wrote this very, very long blog post going through point by point. Uh, and basically taking the core developers' arguments and you know trying to explain them, put them in easier to understand terms. Mm-hmm. If you recall, there was, in fact, an attempt to fork Bitcoin with Bitcoin XT, and there was a lot of propaganda around that. You know, a lot yeah. of BS was going around about it, uh, and a lot of people were being misinformed about um, issues related to block size and all this other stuff. Um, so, the the way that the Bitcoin community handled that, that 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 situation did not have a time pressure. That was just an ongoing campaign of propaganda. Um, the uh, well, what they did end up have, uh, doing uh, in response to that was they did have these scaling Bitcoin conferences, and they did come out with a roadmap. And this roadmap had a huge list of developer names uh, that indicated that there was consensus um, from the developers. And this was something that unfortunately the Ethereum team was not able to produce. Uh, for the hard fork that they had here. And that, I think, was another reason uh, why the folks who are now supporting Classic, uh, that that's one of the chips that might be on their shoulder, uh, that there did not uh, appear to be the uh, consensus, uh, at least not among uh, developers. So so do you believe that, as far as Bitcoin development goes, um, do you think that it could handle a situation like this better? Like, do you think it's more decentralized in the sense that, you know, how, how would Bitcoin go about doing something like this? Well, would it like I mean, I, it's really hard for me to say. So so the, there's Mt. Gox is probably what you're hinting at. And uh, I think that the Mt. Gox situation is actually, you know, people like to say that it's the same thing. I've seen a lot of people make that comparison. Oh, no, it's not the same thing at all. I wasn't yeah. And it, it has a lot of very, very uh, clear differences. So... First of all, Mt. Cox did not have any marketing around it along the lines of, you know, code is law. Uh, it was also not an app, you know, it was, it was not part of the Bitcoin blockchain. It was a business that was running on top of it. Um, and even though technically they might have been able to fork to, to refund those funds, the, there's no promise from Bit, the Bitcoin community itself uh, that, you know, that kind of situation couldn't happen or anything along those lines. And there was no agreement. Uh, you know, from the Bitcoin developers, that if you, uh, no, you basically all that stuff I said earlier. I don't, I don't want to go over it. No, of course. Yeah. So, so as far as, so as far as like the people in the space, like you know, you know, on your Twitter, you know, you make you make uh, you know allusions to you know we we don't need better blockchains. We need better people. Like the you know the people behind the tech are rotten. And you said, like, can you just sort of like just touch on that a little bit more about what you mean? Oh right, right, yeah, uh, yeah. So on Twitter, I posted a tweet. Uh, and this was based on my observations of a lot of the uh, developers and a lot of the community members uh, in the uh, whole Ethereum fiasco and a lot of their reactions. Uh, basically, because they didn't pick that game theoretic, uh, they weren't able to or they failed uh, to you know, do the negotiations, whatever, because they didn't do that. And the negotiations, uh, mind you, uh, that, that wasn't like a far-fetched thing. Uh, had they uh, seriously given it a try, they most likely would have succeeded. Because, again, it's in literally everyone's interest for those negotiations to work out. Because, you know, from the attacker's perspective, they don't want to be a fugitive on the run for the rest of their lives. You know, this is something that they're going to have to deal with, uh, to continue to you know, do their best to be anonymous 
uh, and not get caught. Because if they get caught, they're most likely, you know, probably going to jail. And if they're not going to jail, they, you know, might have some other problems. So the, it, it was in their best interest uh, to negotiate. And obviously, it was in the best interest of the Ethereum uh, community to, uh, and the foundation and Slocket to negotiate as well. Um, so, but that didn't happen. So because that didn't happen, there was this uh, schism uh, that happened. And because there was a schism, uh, you now have this group that was originally perfectly happy and united together. Uh, and forced to split, in a sense, by this attack and by circumstances. And then once they do that, you know, they have to start, it's, it's, you, you get traditional human behavior and group dynamics out of that, where oh, they, the two groups have to start basically bonding together uh, and differentiating themselves from the other. And what does that mean? Well, that means that you have to, you know, uh, badmouth the other side and, you know, point out their flaws. And there was a lot of this going on. It was basically nonstop. You know, each side would, uh, any time that there was any kind of cross-pollination where somebody from one community posted a comment in, in the other community's turf, uh, they would be downvoted and anything they said would be dismissed. Uh, and it would be replied to with basically, well, you guys, you know, yada, yada. And, and, you know, the same would happen on the other side. Well, you guys, yada, yada. And that's, that's that basic human psychology of like, oh, we have to uh, protect the in-group uh, you know, at, at all costs and, uh, you know, fight against the outgroup. And th this basically results in people this just ignoring completely the truth that is in the argument of the opposing side uh, and, and pushing their truth only uh, at the expense of the other truth, the other larger truth. Yeah, you definitely end up with this us versus them mentality going on right now. And like, what do you see happening with, with this moving forward? Do you just see maybe possibly Ethereum Classic rebranding itself to then further differentiate itself from the regular Ethereum community? Do you see some type of melding? Do you see this or this this kind of ongoing, almost exacerbated block size argument happening inside the Ethereum community? Well, generally, uh, I think it's a safe bet to bet on stupidity. Uh, so if I'm perfectly <laughs> you know, cynical, I... I I would say that uh, the, the dumb thing to do, in my opinion, is for them, you know, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that it's technically possible to negotiate even after the hard fork. Like right now, it is possible for the two sides to come together and solve all of the problems that they're having, you know, almost all of the problems. And I think that the end result, uh, were they to just decide to do that, uh, would be a whole lot better than if they were to decide not to do that. Uh, and well, one obvious problem that they're having to deal with right now is that they have to hard fork again. So if you're going to have to hard fork again to fix this, uh, and, and I don't know if it's a hard fork or a soft fork, but most likely they're going to have to do some kind of a fork uh, to address this replay issue that's going on. And the replay issue is, the, one of the ways I could describe it is that we don't have two chains right now. We don't really, you know, they, they like to say there's yeah. an Ethereum and an Ethereum classic. That's not really true. Not right now. They're shadowed together oh, in some way. They're basically being mirrored, yeah. Uh, and what what we really have is something you know more along the lines of 1.25 chains, where mm. that's only, a good rap name. It's a good rap name. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> where only a, a small percentage of the community members who have ether uh, are capable of taking the necessary steps to split their ether from their ether classic. So right now, um, there are people who are doing these replay attacks. And what that means is that 
anything that happens on one chain, any transaction that happens on one chain, the same thing happens on the other chain. Uh, so when you move uh, your money, uh, and this is, I posted a public, public service announcement a tweet, uh, you know, a couple of days ago, I think, uh, telling people, uh, don't touch your Ether and don't touch your Ether Classic. Just like leave it alone, basically, uh, unless you want to jump ship, you know, don't move it right now because moving it right now, unless, unless you've split them, uh, unless you know how to do that. Uh, if you haven't done that, don't even bother touching it because you, you end up in a high probability of losing money. You'll, you'll either lose Ether or you'll lose uh, your Ether Classic unintentionally is, is what is you know, likely to happen in that case. Uh, and the splitting procedure is basically using a smart contract that can tell which blockchain it's on. You send your money to the smart contract and the smart contract will then selectively either let you withdraw or not withdraw that money back depending on which chain uh, you're on. Uh, and that's how you can actually get two, you know, separate. Uh, you can actually get your ether uh, and your ether classic. Right now, they're kind of like moving together, and that is probably a good segue into the whole Coinbase uh, debacle that's currently going on. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. Did do you guys have any like uh, comments or questions though before we get into that craziness? You know, I definitely wanted to try and finesse some way to talk about basic income uh, before we, we got we got to let you go. And I'm not sure exactly where I want to fit that in, but if you could finesse it in through the conversation or the, the, the picture you're painting for our, our listeners, you might as well just go ahead and do that. That's a great suggestion, actually, because, yeah, um, one thing that's happened, uh, one thing that I've noticed from this whole thing is, I mean, first of all, you have to remember where we come from, so to speak. And when I, when I say we, I mean, uh, I mean, all of the thinking and thought that has been put into cryptocurrencies. Uh, maybe not all of it. Um, you know, there's a lot of altcoin stuff that comes straight out of Wall Street. But a lot of the stuff, you know, especially Bitcoin, a lot of its background in history and Ethereum is very principled, very based in this idea that we have a big problem in the world right now where the systems that we have are not working for us. And they are very centralized uh, the power is very centralized in these existing systems, and that power is uh, behaving in a very dumb manner that harms a lot of people. So can we create other systems that decentralize some of that power uh, and also, in the process, give empower people? Uh, you know, that, that's the basic idea behind a decentralized system is that it empowers people. Can we do that? Um, and... What is most upsetting about the entire Ethereum situation right now is that a lot of those principles uh, in many ways have been undermined. And we don't need to blame anybody to say that. Uh, we, we can see that indeed uh, there is something a little bit off. We, we've, uh, there, there's a backpedaling. You know, when, when you say uh, that this system is going to, um, and these, these are little, literal marketing things that were said uh, in selling Ethereum, uh, you know, design a system that doesn't care or, uh, you know, have code be law so that we don't have to put our faith in humans. In other words, we can just have this machine that's agnostic to human stupidity and it just does its thing. And if the humans screw up, then the humans screw up uh, and it, it'll continue doing its thing. So they can think, they can kind of like interact with it. But uh, the, the idea is that the human political side doesn't have much sway over it. Um, so, but what's happening right now is that 
it's clear that it's not entirely possible uh, to separate that human political uh, side. Um, and, and this goes for Bitcoin as well, uh, because, you know, right now the, the Bitcoin community is rightfully, I should say, patting itself on the back for how it handled the block size debate. Uh, and but but, you know, they're they also should be a little bit more humble uh, and remember that they came very close to losing Bitcoin. Uh, I was right there with them uh, watching the attacks uh, on Bitcoin happen during the Bitcoin XT thing. Yeah. And Bitcoin came remarkably close to not being Bitcoin anymore and being a centralized system in the hands of a single person. And it wasn't until all of that uh, politics was combated with politics. It wasn't combated with code. It was combated with politics. Um, that that happened. Uh, in fact, uh, the the other side was was winning specifically because uh, the, the the politics of Bitcoin at that point uh, were were basically to kind of ignore politics in some sense, yeah. or uh, to sort of reply individually to a million uh, Reddit comments instead of having uh, you know sometimes centralization actually helps. It it really helps when you have a centralized blog where everybody you can just point people to instead of repeating yourself a million times, and you can just say. Here's our rebuttal to this post. Here's why it's wrong. Uh, they didn't have that. Uh, now I think they, they finally uh, rebooted the website, and now I think they actually do have a blog finally. Um, so they've learned. That's great. Um, I don't even know what I'm talking about. What, what, was I, what question was I answering? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were moving into uh, basic income and then basic income, right, right, right. right. Exactly. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's You're passionate, Greg. We, we okay. love, it we all love tangents here. It's wonderful. <laughs> and if you just want to keep talking, keep talking. We're going to keep listening. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, right now, it seems like some people are forgetting uh, where they came from, what some of those principles are, and they. Uh, I think are in some of them might be underestimating their grip on the situation mm -hmm. and that when they bend uh, the rules in a certain circumstance and then they have to try to finesse their way uh, in justifying the bending of these rules, um, they might not realize that once you start doing that just a little, you know, there really does end up being a slippery slope. Um, what, what's his face? Uh, uh, Forgetting his name, he was at the decentralized web summit and gave a wonderful speech. Um, but uh, he, he, so it's he's a famous writer. I don't remember. If I remember, I'll let you guys know. But um, <laughs> he, the, the speech was basically about um, Cory Doctor. That, that's his name. Yeah. Good name. So yeah. So, good name. so yeah. <laughs> so so Cory gave this fantastic speech on this concept of the U Ulysses Pact. And he was giving it from the perspective of, of the problems that uh, start escalating when once you start accepting DRM as being a real part of reality and, and, and software. And how uh, once you make a little small compromise, those little uh, small compromises start uh, to kind of like a snowball accumulating more and more compromises. And I mean, what, what ends up really happening is that people, when they compromise on this one thing, um, then... They they end up having to justify that, and then they kind of sometimes might even be dishonest in some way, and then 
and have, of course, human uh, egos come into play because people don't want to lose face. That's a big thing. Uh, so, you know, if somebody's caught saying something that's not true, then sometimes they kind of find themselves in a situation where they can't even apologize because it's just, you know, too embarrassing at that point. Um, and and so they make more compromises and they make more little... Uh, and, and then integrity eventually flies out the window and before you know it, you've got Goldman Sachs and Wall Street and all this other craziness and, you know, huge stock market collapses and lots of people out of their homes. Uh, now, slippery slope arguments, of course, you know, is uh, sometimes it can be a logical fallacy, but not always. Sometimes there's legitimacy to it. And so, uh, and Corey Doctor was, uh, you can find his speech online um, about the Ulysses Pact, which was given at the Decentralized Web Summit just earlier this year, I believe. We'll try and link that in the show notes for this episode. Yeah. The, the idea there is it's a story about this guy who's on a ship. I think his name is Ulysses, uh, I guess. Uh, and he's going to go through the, uh, the, the very dangerous waters where there are sirens who sing uh, but drive men crazy through their singing. And he wants to listen uh, to their singing. He wants to kind of have his cake and eat it too. Uh, so what he decides is that he asks his men to bind him uh, to, the, uh, to a post and handcuff him to it, basically, or you know, whatever the equivalent of handcuffs they had back then, ropes. And to then put in earplugs or something like that and to not let him free, no matter what he does, until they're in safe waters. Because you know, no matter how much he begs and pleads them to untie him, uh, for them not to do it. So that's that's the basic idea of a Ulysses Pact. Another uh, way that somebody has phrased this, I think it might have been a Raw Balkan, um, where it, it's not what Google says of "don't be evil," but it's "can't be evil." Uh, and, and a lot of that was uh, the the founding principle behind Bitcoin was let's design a system where you um, where it's really difficult. Uh, to be evil, where it's really difficult for uh, a centralized, trusted third party to even exist. Um, and so, so yeah, uh, that, that's, that's kind of like where, where we are now with Ethereum is some of those principles are, are being questioned and why I encourage them to really actively and honestly consider the both sides to uh, consider negotiating. And regarding basic income, uh, I'm trying to bring myself back to that. Of course. Um, yeah. So one of the reasons why basic income is so important is because, uh, you know, where did all of this, this, this these compromises uh, in the Dow situation come from? They came because people genuinely feared for their livelihoods. Uh, there was genuine fear driving irrational behavior, uh, which you know, it always does, uh, which is why you should always be skeptical anytime somebody tries to send you a fearful message, uh, no matter w how true it is, uh, whether or not, you know, the uh, meteor actually is coming straight at Earth and you can see it through the telescope. If you're going to let fear be the basis of what's driving your actions, you're probably not going to be able to handle that meteor very well. And however, Fear is what ends up driving people's behavior when they put all of their faith and belief into money. When they decide to let money be what governs almost all of their life decisions, uh, including where am I going to sleep tonight? Am I going to be able to survive? Will I 
uh, starve to death? Will I be uneducated? When they allow money to govern so almost 100% of their life decisions, we have created kind of a, a false idol that we're worshiping. And that is what results in poor decision-making based on fear. And, and the Tao is, is a great based example fear of that. And greed. So that's why basic income is something that we need to do and we need to take very seriously. And, and we are doing that uh, at the OK Turtles. We are working on a basic income system called group income uh, that will make it possible without any government for anybody. I mean, a government could use it if they wanted to. It's a completely voluntary system and it's open source to be able for any group of friends or family or family and friends or church communities or whoever uh, or open source developers even to agree basically we're not going to let anybody fall below a certain point. We're going to ensure these basic things that you don't have to worry about no matter what. That's the idea behind basic income. It gets rid of that um, artificial competition and fear that's created by putting uh, so much of your faith uh, and, and decision-making uh, in, into money uh, and, and allowing it to control your life to that degree, uh, to, that, uh, to the point where you start thinking, well, if, if I don't have this, I'm, I'm going to die, basically, or become you know, uh, homeless and my entire life is ruined. So let's, let's not allow that. And that's what basic income is about. Well, do you think that uh, do you, who? What system do you think is like more easily designed for something like basic income? Because I know you all are probably doing your own like separate implementation of of what you all are building. But, but do you know of any initiatives for Bitcoin and for Ethereum in relation to basic income? And do you think that there's like an advantage over one over the other to build it on there? So the approach we're taking is agnostic to any currency. It can be used even with fiat currency. And it can be used with Bitcoin and Ether. Um, that that is is our goal. Mm -hmm. uh, and you you can go onto our website groupincome.org to read more about it. And we're, of course, going to be you know posting and talking more about it uh, in, in the coming weeks and months. Um, but but you can do this with with any currency. Does that answer your question? Yes, definitely. And uh, we'll be sure to like include a link like for this in the description for group income too. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll edit the, the show notes. And unfortunately, like, we're not the Joe Rogan show. I know we could talk about this for like four or five hours, but, uh, <laughs> I think, I think we're coming to, uh, the end. So let me ask you, Greg, uh, uh, one hard, but, uh, very short question. And, uh, hopefully you can answer it in 10 words or less. Can you describe Bitcoin? That's a good question. Let me think about that. Take your time. Oh, and while I'm thinking about it, a question for you. Is, is this sort of the, the end of the episode? Is this like all the time we have? We have... We usually uh, have I believe so. If you'd like something you want to continue on, we can probably do that. All right. Well, I mean, I, there was the Coinbase thing, if you guys wanted to cover that, but I'll, I'll, I'll think about the answer to this question in the meantime. Okay. So wait, the question is, in 10 words uh, or less, something about Bitcoin? Can you describe Can you Bitcoin? describe Bitcoin? 10 words or less. Oh, describe Bitcoin. Okay, yeah, uh, easy. Uh, it, it's basically uh, digital gold uh, that you can send over the internet. Digital gold you can send over the internet. That works. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, why don't you take a few minutes to tell us about the Coinbase episode, and we'll wrap it up right after that.
Yeah, sure. Cool. Um, yeah, so, okay, so remember the replay attacks. Mm-hmm. So here's what happened. Uh, and, and somebody actually posted a, a tweet where they described how you can kind of get money for free, in a sense, using exploiting this replay attack. In fact, you're not even uh, having to do much because the replay attack is being done for you. It's more like you're exploiting the incompetence of these exchange developers. Uh, so what you do is, and, and I say incompetence and, and kind of negligence as well, because they were warned uh, prior to the hard fork that they needed to watch out for this. Uh, and for whatever reason, they didn't. Uh, so they got bit. So I, I have actually all, you know, very, very little sympathy uh, for their situation. Uh, it, it's another, oh man, somebody came up with this word uh, called like sl- getting slocked or uh, <laughs> slocking up. up. Yeah. Slock up real bad, man. <laughs> Samson, Samson Mountain. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Funny so guy. this exchange Funny is guy. really slocked up on this. Uh, <laughs> so what, what you do is you buy Ether on Coinbase using, say, Bitcoin. And because uh, Coinbase is you know, raw, raw uh, Ethereum, and we're not going to support Ethereum Classic and all this stuff, so they didn't literally support uh, Classic. You take it and you send it um, to Polonix, or Polonix, I don't know how you pronounce their Polonix. I think. Yeah. And they do support uh, Ethereum Classic. But because Coinbase is totally ignoring uh, the Ethereum Classic that's coming along with your Ether, it's being replayed on the other chain. Uh, so, you know, to the user, it looks like, oh, hey, I just bought some Ether. Uh, in reality, they bought some Ether and Ethereum Classic. Um, mm. They send their Ether to Poloniex. Poloniex supports Ethereum Classic, and so it shows, hey, you've got uh, some Ethereum Classic. And, you know, people are like, hey, I got free Ethereum Classic. Oh, you know, this is awesome. And then... What you do is you, I think the next step is pretty simple. You just sell your Ethereum Classic uh, for Bitcoin um, and you basically repeat the whole process and, 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 you, and you keep doing this. Um, and Coinbase, and somehow something along these lines, uh, it seems like either this or some other bug that they had, it sounded to me from the grapevine like they managed to lose uh, a lot of Ethereum Classic that they were supposed to have. Uh, and then to compensate for this, once they realized that, they started uh, collecting the replayed Ethereum Classic that wasn't theirs and splitting it. So so they posted this tweet through their, their GDAX. That's the name of their like fancy trading system. Mm-hmm. Uh, or whatever it's called. I think it's GDAX. Yeah, yeah so, for their yeah. And they and they say and it's it's this it, oh, I really hate bullshit but it's it's this bullshit <laughs> and it makes it sound it was, like it was from you know, my understanding that all it stated was that yes if you held pre fork ether on GDAX then obviously you would have an equivalent ETC balance and that they weren't going to directly implement a way to use ETC on Coinbase but they would implement a methodology for you to be able to extract your Ethereum Classic from there if that is something you wish to do. Well, okay. So what I remember it saying was that they were going to allow, uh, you know, they had some amount of balances uh, of Ethereum uh, on their exchange, and they were going to allow up to that balance of Ethereum Classic to be withdrawn. 
and nothing else was basically uh, what, what they were saying. So, okay. you know, the balance that they had at the time of the hard fork, that's mm-hmm. the amount that they were going to allow to be withdrawn in Ethereum Classic. But because of this replay attack that's uh, going on, keep in mind people are ah, so you're saying so you're saying they're keeping the extra bits on the table that happened afterwards, right? Yeah. Got it. So so because these replay attacks are continuing and people are buying ether and sending it, you know, when when, when Coinbase goes to buy some ether from somebody, uh, they get not only that ether. You know, the person that's selling them ether doesn't realize that this replay attack is continually going on uh, in the background. And so they don't realize that when they're selling them uh, their Ether, they're also losing uh, to Coinbase their Ethereum Classic, and they're not getting paid for it. And Coinbase now has this Ethereum Classic. And they say that, you know, they're not going to, the, the term that they use is they're not going to be supporting Ethereum Classic. But I find that absurd because they're actually, they're doing the exact opposite. They are supporting Ethereum Classic. They've gone through the hoops uh, that are necessary to create these smart contracts to split the coins. That is what it means to support Ethereum Classic, is to run a node and, and to do that, to be able to split it. Um, so they, they are, in fact, supporting Classic. They're just supporting it in a way that ends up with them pocketing all of that Ethereum Classic. And so that's what I was ranting and raging uh, on, on Twitter about today, uh, because it's not theirs. Uh, they, they need to give it back to who, whoever they bought the, the Ether from. What mm. a clusterfuck. You think? Wait, wait, wait. Here's here's a con- wait. I've got like because I'm here and I, I just I want to make a conspiracy theory. <laughs> do you <laughs> do you think that Coinbase is selling the Ethereum Classic off on the side to keep the price down in order to make sure that the hard fork wins? Um. Well, okay. So <laughs> the the whole price thing that's going on with. Ethereum and Ethereum Classic has surprised a lot of very smart people. Let me just put it that way. Oh yeah, no, uh, it has surprised almost everyone. And the uh, a lot of people were, were remarking about the volumes. You know, the, I, I don't know if this is record setting, but the volumes are insane yeah. uh, that are happening between both uh, Bitcoin and the two Ethereum's that are out there, the one point two five Ethereum's that are out there. One point two five. Yeah, I I think that there are so many people taking advantage of all of this ignorance that's out there right now, uh, that with automated scripts as well. That basically the answer to any conspiracy theory is probably yes. There's somebody doing that, and there's somebody doing the opposite. <laughs> that's 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 very true. And 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 I guess really to like close it up. Um, like, do you have any other sort of like just like final statements like in regards to like the situation like as far as like going forward like any 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 forethoughts that came from devs like since then like any, any other additional I would just reiterate uh, you know sort of remember where you came from why you're doing all of this in the first place ask yourself uh, whether you want to steer the ship in the direction of Wall Street or you want to um, maybe continue down the original path also consider the Ulysses pact uh, and making it. But what and, if we just like pick up the Wall Street people along the way and then like we give them like tie-dye t-shirts instead of their suits and we just all get on a ship? Well, uh, <clears throat> if we can convert, it would be awesome, yeah. Well, to bring it back to uh, basic income, when, when your main motivator is money, then you, this type of shit happens. Exactly, yeah. We, 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 basically, everybody ends up worse off when, when, when you don't have basic income is, is what ends up happening. Well, all right. Let's uh let's wrap it up on that one. That's 
It's a great episode. Thanks for thanks for coming on the show and thanks for expressing your opinions on a lot of this stuff. It's really quite insightful. Yeah, man. Thanks for keeping the filter off and really giving it to us. It gave us a uh, gave us a lot of insights and like different perspectives. No problem. It was my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. No problem, Greg. Thanks. And that was the interview with Greg coming at us, giving us lots of like tidbits, interesting bits of knowledge. The conversation went to lots of places. Touched here and a touch there. Yeah. After after Greg talked to us, I'm in, I'm increasingly comfortable thinking about Bitcoin governance as like a market phenomenon. That's how I feel. I think you're right. I think you're right, man. I think the market decides how Bitcoin's governed and how Ethereum's governed. And that's just it. The market is all powerful. Hell yeah. Is it Zordon? Was that the leader of the Power Rangers? Yeah, do you know who's going to play Zordon in the movie? Fucking uh, Walter White from Breaking Bad. I thought it was going to be Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro's movie choices as of late, not good. We always end up talking about movies somehow. We've got to, all right, let's stay on track. Let's stay on track. Bad Grandpa was so good, so bad though. I just got to say, hold on. This dude was in The Godfather and now he's making movies with Zac Efron. Okay, let's let's get back on topic. All right, let's get back on topic. So there's one thing that you guys discussed that I thought was very interesting and that's basic income. And I feel like human beings, I feel like society in general is going to start hearing that so much more in the next decade or two. And then by the time the third decade rolls around, it's going to be a massively split decision kind of political issue. And yeah, I think 30 years in advance, because what thinking man doesn't, but Basic income is a big deal, man. And and basically what it boils down to is when the robots are doing everything for us, how do we guarantee everyone has a standard of living that isn't complete shit? Well, not everyone's a futurist. You know, not everyone's worried about robots wiping out all the jobs. Yeah, but they should be. So, <laughs> <laughs> the, point, the point in time we're at right now, yeah. No, it's just the, it's the old adage, you know. The guy who owned the bicycle shop looked at everybody driving around automobiles and he was like, what the hell? That's that's stupid. Everyone's always going to need a bicycle. And then next thing you know, 10 years down the line, he's like, damn, I guess I'll just apply to the wheels making station in this automobile factory because I can't keep the doors open in my bicycle shop anymore. You know, you can't be that guy. Everybody sees the writing on the wall. You just got to read it. The robots are getting better. AI is out there, like, I mean, it's there. So, at the point in time when that is a reality, when you can walk into a factory and, like, at least 50% of the people working aren't people but are robots, well, you've got to start thinking about what happens to the other 50% that don't have jobs anymore. They need yeah. they need sustenance. They need an ability to live. And then this thing called basic income comes around. I, I uh... I think a good I think a good example before you go on is like I went I went to Olive Garden yesterday and I didn't have a waitress. I had a touch screen. Yeah. I mean this shit's real, man. And it's it's coming quick. It's coming real quick. And so 
I mean, it's just, it's common sense. If you're a business owner and you can pay a one-time fee of 60 grand and then maybe two to $5,000 worth of maintenance a year, I mean, that's way better than paying 60 grand a year to somebody every year on the year. I mean, that's just, that's the easiest math in the world. Yeah, I'm hiring the robot. Like, that's going to happen. So, in this world that we see as the future, how do people live basic income? It's like guaranteed money. And you, I think, obviously, without much thinking and without much stretch of the imagination, you can think of scenarios where there's going to be a large group of people that are like, fuck that. People shouldn't just get paid to just live. And then there's going to be another large part of the population that's like, well... How else are they going to live? Because there's nothing for them to do. Well, basic income says that there's there's zero reason for you to worry about putting food on the table um, or paying your rent. Um, I, I think people need to spend their time exploring themselves. That's the only way to move humanity forward. Exactly. I think people have to spend, wow, we got deep in this episode, but I think people are going to have to spend a good amount of time exploring themselves to differentiate themselves from the wash that is going to exist on the internet. Mm -hmm. It's already getting that way, like where it's a wash of content from so many different people makes the internet an infinite expanse of entertainment. Yet that's going to be where you get your value from in the future. And that's where Bitcoin and Ethereum and these technologies come in. Is that if you're appealing and you're and you're you're creating content and putting it out on the internet and getting paid for it and getting paid for it for at any point in time from anywhere on the globe, from anyone, you can't do that with the systems that exist now. It's very tough and it costs money. Bitcoin, it's not that much money. So that's where Bitcoin comes in, and that's why Bitcoin is so important. In a future like that, you got to have money be just as quick and efficient as email. Point blank, period. Just, just like our theme song. What, what? Just like our theme song. Um, man, we could probably talk about that all day, but do we have time to? That's the thing. Or should we talk about other things? Let's talk about something else. Let's get something else on the docket. So basic income, if there were a vote right now here today, I, Demetric Ferguson, Demetric Lamar, would say yes. Basic income is okay. As long as there's some sort of like way to, to make sure people aren't using it to just go straight to the meth dealer, then, <laughs> then yes. If it wasn't their monthly meth check, then then yes. So. Yeah. Closing, closing thoughts. When people are, are given a basic income, um, people become more educated and more entrepreneurial. And that's awesome. Cool. Next topic. Let's talk about one other thing and then we got to wrap it up. What are you going to talk about? Uh, let's talk about Thamos getting booted from Bitcoin. Finally. Oh my God. Hashtag fuck Thamos. Or what was our hashtag? Thamos is bitch made. Oh yeah, hashtag Thamos is bitch made. It needs to make a comeback. God, that guy. Look, Thamos, I know you've listened to one of our shows. 
And if you are listening to this one right now, just step down, bro. What what do you what, what's the pride for? You did a good job for a little while. Own that. All right. Now you've done a shitty job for a longer while. <laughs> Own that. <laughs> step down, man. You you've really made Reddit unreadable. And he's stolen Bitcoin from many people. God, that's the the name Red to have the name Reddit and to be unreadable is like contradictory in it's like it's a paradox, man. You've created a paradox, you ass. Step down. Alright, that's all we gotta say about it. Let's 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 wrap this up. Alright, man. Well I gotta say, gotta say it's the Thamos. You diss him. Diss Thamos. Who to me? Yeah. Those shots fired. Shoot some shots at them. I mean, Coinbase uh, is doing that for me, man. They're he. I think by the time next week he'll be gone. Okay. Well, let's wrap it up. So, first thing I want to talk about while we're wrapping it up is Purse.io. Uh, you can go to Purse.io and you can shop just like you shop on Amazon. In fact, the product that you're going to get is going to come from Amazon. Now, here's the thing. If you go to our website and you sign up with our affiliation link, then when you're doing your shopping and you're paying for your stuff, we just get a little kickback on the end at no expense to you. So you do your shopping like you do your shopping, but the Bitcoin podcast gets a little bit of a kickback. And for those of you that have signed up and for those of you that have bought things and we've already received a little bit of kickback, thank you very much. It helps us do what we're trying to do. Build a better show for everyone listening right now. Uh, Yeah, for instance, the sound quality that you're hearing right now, and it's not consistent, but if we have better equipment, it could be. It could be. Unless... Go ahead. What if someone went on purse and bought something and gave us a little bit of love, and then you took that money and bought seaweed and just ruined the show? <laughs> That's very likely to happen. I get my the seaweed came from Costco, so it is it's a lot at once. Uh, and then I w- I would like one of those mix boards so I can put sound effects in there. So like when we're talking, it can go ear or like yeah 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 yeah. Or stuff like that, <laughs> like, like uh, laugh tracks. <laughs> like I want to go all out with this show, but that stuff's expensive. So yeah, Randy, Randy, Randy. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, just sign for our affiliation link. Get it done. Um, at the BTC podcast on Twitter, at the BTC podcast. Uh, Cello runs that. And he'll talk back to you. Um, maybe. We learned in this episode that he may or may not talk back to you, depending on how he feels that day. Um, at Mojincello is his Twitter. At Mojincello. I'm at Fergalotti. At Core Petty. That's if you guys want to get up, hit up on personal Twitters. TheBitcoinPodcast.com, of course, is our website. Go to it. Poke around. There's a news page that is very resourceful. Go poke around. Oh, oh, oh. That's good. I like you, Randy. I like how you start something and I got to finish it right off the bat. Um, That's going to work. Let's see. 
what else do we do? We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook, every we're everywhere, man. You can't you if we're we're on the internet. So you have to go out of your way to not listen to us. Yeah, and then go in the go to the uh Coin Telegraph and we're over there too. Yep, Cointelegraph.com, our partnership. They're helping us out. We are now 